What's up, guys? Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are soft-shell helmet covers that reduce the impact during practice. Worn by over a 1,000 high schools like Broken Arrow and Ankeny, where me and Coach Walls are, and over 100 colleges like Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. Most programs utilize them for their guys in the box to address the repetitive, subconcussive blows that add up throughout the season or an athlete's career. They're also great for body blows like helmets to knees, hips, quarterback's hands, all while keeping the helmets looking good for game day and protecting speed flexes from cracking. You guys can go check out Guardian Caps at guardiancaps.com and request a, request a quote for great team pricing. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Visit their website and start a 14-day free trial. And right now, Team Builder is offering coaches a complimentary in-season football strength program. As you may recall, the New England Patriots squad up to 90% of their one-rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy is just to maintain, then you're doing it wrong. You can get the template once you start a 14-day trial, free trial with Team Builder. Just reach out to them and tell them that you heard it from us. Go visit them at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is an industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their program to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can go visit them at sidelinepower.com by email at info at sidelinepower.com, or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. And then last, but certainly never, ever least, uh, is SkyCoach. SkyCoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. They've got 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and in any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. SkyCoach is the market leader in sideline replay. You can visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. And that's going to do it for all the reads. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Scott Bailey. Coach Bailey is the head coach at Lamar High School in Lamar, Missouri, where he has led the Tigers to seven straight, that's right, seven straight state championships and the nation's longest current winning streak, at 49 games straight. Listen as we talk with Coach Bailey about his football journey from college to the private sector to being one of the most successful high school coaches in the country. His philosophy on the Lamar off-season weight program and balancing multiple sports in a smaller school and how to develop athletes in all aspects of their lives outside of football. Coach Bailey is also a faithful supporter of the best play in football, power. Hope you guys enjoy. 
I'm a Lamar High School graduate. Lamar High School, Lamar, Missouri, 1985 grad. Went to Pittsburgh State, played for Coach Fran at Pitt. And, you know, every time I talk to Coach Fran, I, I say, you know, I wish I hadn't been an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid when I played for you. I'd, I'd have maybe paid attention more and, <laughs> and listened a little closer to, to what I was being taught because as I came through there, uh, obviously had Coach Fran as a head coach. The Coach Boyles came along right at, at the end of my time. Had Jerry Kill as a linebacker coach. Jerry Kill actually recruited me there. Gary Patterson came through there when I was there. Chuck Moeller came through there when I was there. But Kenton Beck was my position coach. <clears throat> we played together for a couple of years and was my position coach. <laughs> and just the quality of coaches that I had at that point in time was, was I wish I hadn't been so young and dumb and I paid more attention to the people that I was around and, and who was trying to teach me. Um, got done playing and, and my degree was in engineering. I worked in engineering for a couple of years and then went into banking and everybody asked, how do you go from engineering to banking? I said, well, you marry the banker's daughter. You. <laughs> and they say, well, how do you go from, how do you go from banking to teaching? I said, you divorce the banker's daughter. That's how you go from <laughs> banking to teaching. So, um, <clears throat> I was, I was running a, I was, I was running a bank in Kirksville, Missouri and, and John Ware, the head coach at Truman state at the time happened to be one of my customers. And that's how I got to know him. And he had a coach leave and, and that's how I got on his staff there at Truman State, and then when he went to Missouri Southern, I went with him and got out of banking altogether. So I got into coaching late, actually, compared to most guys. And Lamar was my hometown, and I kind of thought maybe we could get back there and maybe do something special. And just finished this. This is my twelfth year at Lamar, and uh, we just uh, we just won our seventh state championship in a row in football. Our cross-country team has won three state championships. Our track team has won two state championships. And and those 12 state championships are the only state championships that this school's won in school history. And it all started uh, 2011 was when we won that first one in football, and it's kind of built from there. So I guess when you have really good football-playing kids and you win a lot of games and win some championships, people want to talk to you and put you on the – put you online and, and ask you how you do it, I guess. That's exactly right. I think that's the, that was the next question. Um, obviously it had, it had to be right. What, what was the uh, big change or turnaround or obviously players have something to do with it, but um, you know, you got to believe there's, there's some coaching and some, some, uh, I don't know, culture, if that's the right word that, that goes along with it as well. Yeah. I, I'm not, I won't, I'll tell you guys the truth as best I can. I, I don't like that word culture. I hear, I hear that word culture and I, and I hear, I hear the word bullying and, and I just, I grit my teeth when I hear both of them. They're so overused. Um, I tell our teachers at school, I say, you got a kid in trouble. I said, what you're calling bullying today is what I called leadership when I was a kid. I mean, he told the kid to shut up and I mean, he's leading him. He's not bullying him. And people talk about culture in the same way. And I say, I really don't know what that means. Tell me what's important to your kids. If you'll tell me what's important to your kids, that's going to describe 
what the culture is at your school. And um, at Lamar, we've been we use two words when we when we talk about what's taken place here in in the last however many years is blessed and fortunate. And I, people say, you know, what's the secret? I said, well, I, I kind of think that the secret is there's no secret. And the longer you keep trying to look for a secret, the worse you're going to get. You need to understand that there's just, I don't know that there's a secret to it. I think it's a lot of little things that go on each day that, that get taken care of that over time help create success. And at Lamar, I think we we could probably narrow it down to three things. One's the kids. And I spoke at a coaching clinic, uh, it wasn't this past winter, it was the winter before, and I got asked that question. And uh, I said, you know, we got the kids. And there were some coaches in the room that were upset. They thought that I was holding something back. And, that, and I, I, just, I just told them, I said, you come down to our place and I'll show you pictures on our wall of the senior class of those seven state champion football teams, those six state champions at that time that I was speaking. But I said, I'll show you the senior class of each one of those teams. I got a picture of them up on the wall in our way. There are kids in those senior classes that would have started and been some of the best players on any team in the state of Missouri, regardless of class. And we're playing class two football. And those guys would have been some of the best players on any team in the state, regardless of class. I said, when I tell you we have the players, I'm not, I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm telling you the truth. I said, that's one part of it. The second part of it is that our coaching staff has been allowed to stay together long enough that our kids don't know any different. Uh, the senior class that's coming up, the senior class that we're having next year was going into kindergarten when we got here in 2006. And in some schools, that's a given. At Lamar, it wasn't. And I'll put it into perspective for you. In the history of our football program, and I've gone back all the way into the 1920s, there have been three coaches that have lasted five years or more. Only three. We're, we're finishing up our 12th year. Mike Rader went 11 years and Chuck Blaney went five. Everybody else is a one, two, or three. And so when I say we were allowed, I, I'm, that's the way I want it phrased. We, we, didn't, we didn't have a school board member get mad or a parent get mad or whatever, or a coach get mad and, just, you know, I got mad and decided to leave. We were allowed to stay long enough that our kids don't know any different. They only know what we've taught them because we're the only ones they've had. And the third thing that goes along probably with our success is our parents, our administration, and our community embraces the fact that we're very old school and we coach in a physical, brutal way. We don't, we're, we're gonna line up and run the ball. We're not gonna be very fancy. We're not going to have a lot of flashy stuff. Our uniforms are going to be very basic. And I mean, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be show and tell at our place. And in a lot of programs, in a lot of towns, that's not 
allowed. That's not that's not going to be acceptable in our town. They embrace that, and I think when you take those three things and you put them together and and you stay consistent to them, I think you have a chance to grow and be successful. Coach, I'd read an article about that, and and obviously I love it because I I think it it needs to be preached and it needs to be coached more and more. But the thing you also said in that is, you know, hey, when we're coaching kids hard and we're being what people want to call old school, we're doing it because we love our players. And I think that was the thing that really came across in the article that I read about your career because, you know, I'd had several guys kind of tell me about you, like, hey, you need to get Coach Bailey on. He's got some good stuff. So I wanted to at least do a little research, and I'm like, that says it all. I mean, you have that relationship, you have that trust, you have that love, and you have that support, and then you're able to go get after them when they need to be get after. Well, and, and I appreciate you saying that, and, I, and I, I thank you for saying it, but it wasn't always that way. That's something that, I've, that's something that I think me and our coaching staff has learned in our time at Lamar. And people, you know, when I sit back and I, I hate to even take time to think back and, and I, I don't, I, it, it almost, I almost get paranoid when I start doing stuff like that because somebody's gaining on you. But when I think back about what regrets do I have, one, one big one is that the kids that came along early didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I did not, I did not in any way try to coach our kids and with a with a loving relationship in mind i was the coach they were the player this is how we do it to be successful and honestly i kind of kept everybody uh players parents administrators community at arm's length i would not let them get close to me i was not gonna let them know what i was thinking and that'll work for a short term, I think I think it's probably why you see coaches change jobs so much. Is it'll work short term? It's not going to work long term. And what I learned at Lamar, and I actually had we had kind of started doing it by accident when I was given uh, the book 3D Coaching uh, through the FCA, and and it talks about obviously you're going to coach the physical part. You're going to get them big enough, fast enough, strong enough, and make sure. And you're going to coach the mental part. Our kid, I think if you look at our kids and you ask other coaches that play against us, they're, they're pl- our kids are plenty strong, they're plenty big, and they know what they're supposed to do. They're, they're, we've coached the physical and we've coached the mental. But the third part of that I never even knew existed when I got here. I did not know that if you learn how to love your kids, and you build a relationship with them based on love, and you coach in that third dimension, how much more enjoyable it'll be, how much more successful you'll be, and honestly, how much less you have to rely on the physical and the mental part of it. Jerry Kill said it best. Jerry Kill, I mean, he's about as blue-collar and down-to-earth as they come, and, and, and Coach Killer said, coach them in a way that you have a relationship that's so strong with them that they'll overcome your lack of X's and O's. And I, I, if you can get these kids to love each other, love their coaches, I, I just gave our guys a homework assignment. One of our off-season projects was last Sunday. I said, the, I want you to list every coach or every player on our team that loves football. 
Well, we just won. We just guys. We just won our seventh state championship in a row. <laughs> and you would think that list would be extremely long. And our roster this year is a little bit smaller than it's been in the past because our incoming freshman class is a little bit smaller. There are 65 guys on our roster in a class two school. We're normally 70 or or better. But our our guys don't necessarily love football, but they love each other and they love their coaches, and that's why they play. And it, and when when I told our coaches, you list every kid that you know loves football. I'm talking out of those 65 kids, I'm, there's less than 10 names on that list combined of kids that love football. But we have kids that love basketball, that love their teammates, that come out and play football like crazy because they have that relationship with their coaches and their teammates. And the regret that I have is there's a number of years leading up to where we figured this out, that there's a better way where we didn't coach those kids that way. And they got cheated by our coaching staff early on because we just didn't know. I mean, I, I, had, I was never coached that way by anybody. And it was something that we learned in our time here at Lamar that we're trying to, I don't, I don't know, maybe just make it a permanent part of what we do would be a good way to say it. Just make sure that those kids know that, that when they're in our football program, we are going to do everything we can to try to build a relationship based on love with them. I think that's obviously, you know, by the state championship, it's obviously extremely important and can be, and can be tough for coaches to do. So, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting that it did have such a profound uh, effect. Kind of my, my curiosity was you talked about, you know, coaches staying around and, and um, you know, now if, if you're good for two or three years, win two or three state titles, uh, maybe as the head coach, it's you've got obviously other job offers, but you, you start really seeing a lot of times coordinators and assistant coaches heading off to, you know, start their own program. So how have you, you know, tried to keep intact your, your staff to, like you said, now the kids, it's just what they're used to. Well, again, blessed and fortunate. Um, <laughs> if you look at our, if you look at our staff, that was here in 2000, so that came in in 2006. Uh, coach Lundeen came with us. He's our assistant head coach and, and our defensive coordinator. Well, he's also our head baseball coach. And so if you were to ask that, do you love football? He, he, in his heart, he probably loves baseball. And But he knows that working in the weight room with the kids and, and helping them in football and, well, to be honest with you, helping them in any sport they need help with, is what he's called to do. And so having that head baseball coaching jobs helps keep him here at Lamar. Brett Pettibon comes in, he works with our JV offense, but he's also our, our girls track coach and our girls track program is very successful. And so there's more tying them to here than just being a football coach and looking uh, at getting promoted as a football coach. A lot of these guys are running their own program within our school. It's just not running the football program. For me, it's, I just, I tell everybody that a coach is either looking for his destination job. He's, he's leaving because there's somewhere that he wants to be, or he's leaving because he's trying to get away from something at the place he's at. There's, those are probably the only two reasons. Those are probably the only two reasons that, that coaches are leaving. There's, there's a 
destination job that they're trying to get to or they're trying to get away from something at the place they're at. Well, I've had some I've had some stuff here at Lamar that I would have gladly walked away from, <laughs> but it's awful hard to walk away from the kids. Yeah. And I haven't really had a destination job that said I'm gonna I'm gonna be successful here so I can get to there. You know, Lamar's my hometown. I have seven sisters and four brothers. And it's just one of those deals. I mean, I'm coaching my nephews. My my last nephew coming through will be a senior next year. And so it's just, you know, it's just very personal to me to be here uh, helping take care of my nephews, helping take care of family, helping take care of the school I graduated from. So um, I really haven't had that looking for a destination job. And the stuff that I'm trying to run away from here at Lamar hasn't been so bad that I wanted to walk away from the kids and leave them. Coach, I think that's obviously a huge part of the deal, you know, finding ways to, to keep those guys connected. And I think, you know, just listening to you talk as well, you know, it's easy, I think, to work for a guy who, who does look internally. I mean, you, you've already admitted it a couple times now. It's like, hey, I was, I was making mistakes when I, when I first started out. And I think you admitting that and setting that standard where, like, hey, it, it's okay for, for me to make these mistakes. I'll take ownership of them, but I'm also going to have the solution. And you, you sold those guys on the solution and you set that standard. And it, it seems like it's just kind of been one of those deals that takes off because, hey, the, the head coach is willing to, to admit he's, he's made a couple of mistakes. You know what? We know you guys are going to make mistakes and, and we're going to get better because of it. And I bring a little bit more to what we're doing. I haven't been in coaching and education my whole life. I've been in a number of different careers. At one time, I was the mayor of a small town. I mean, I was the mayor of Adrian, Missouri for a couple of years. So there's, there's, you know, you bring a little bit in that says you might want to look at this from a different point of view from somebody that's always been in education and education's all they know. Mm-hmm. So, there, there's a little bit of, of a variance in experience that I have coming through banking or engineering or whatever it was that I was doing before I got into education that may help. So that that kind of, that may be another point of view to it also. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, what what are some things you kind of learned from those other careers that you could kind of bring in from, from business, from banking, from, from engineering that has helped you as a head coach? It's a hundred percent. You win with people. It, it don't matter. It, it, it honestly, it does not matter if you're running uh, a bank, you, you're working in an engineering firm, city government, education, or you're trying to you're trying to start up a, a internet site for coaches to get on and talk. It, you win with people, and if you surround yourself and you get people that care about each other, that honestly aren't interested in always being in the spotlight. They, they understand that the team comes first and the team success will create the individual success that I'm, you know, that I might be looking for. All of that stuff is, is, is just people centered. And I think the football programs that you see that are successful year in and year out are the school districts that you see that everybody goes to, to try to figure out how to run things. Those people, those people in those school districts or in those programs are are surrounded by that type or that quality of person. I mean, that they just – and so it doesn't matter the industry that you're in. You're going to win and you're going to lose 
with people, what, what you surround yourself with. Coach, that's, um, you know, obviously, you know, powerful words, you, you know what I mean? And, and talking to especially a young coach like me, I, I love being able to, to hear that and hear that you did go through so many of these things and then get into sports to do it, you know, get into sports and get to bring all this people-centric um, ideals over to, to athletics. But I was kind of curious, after going through, um, you know, what, what seems like, um, and I don't even have the right words for it, but it doesn't seem like as much red tape and some of that stuff when you're in the business world. And then you got into education where um, there's, it seems like at least at some of these big schools, there's just so much red tape and you can't do certain things because of certain crazy, you know, laws or whatever. Did you run into any of that that was frustrating that you had to, you know, dance or toe certain lines that didn't really make much sense to you? Or, or was it minimized at such a smaller, at a smaller school? Well, the first thing I'd say is you've never been in banking. You haven't seen red tape, so you've been audited. I mean, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story that uh, working at a bank and and a buddy of mine that I went to high school with graduated college, and he was examining. He was he was working for the FDIC, and we had an examination scheduled uh, coming up, and I called him up, and we had the list of examiners that was coming into our bank, and I called him up to see. I mean, I'm trying to get a scouting report. I'm going to try to figure out what these, so that I know before they get to our bank what they want to see. I want to be a step ahead, you know. And so I'm talking to him, and he says, well, tell me who's coming. And so I'm reading off the list, and I get to the examiner in charge, and there's dead silence on the phone. And I said, uh, something wrong? And he says, hey, you guys get the Wall Street Journal down there? I said, yeah. He said, go back to last Tuesday's Wall Street Journal and look on the cover of it and then call me back. <laughs> and so I go, I go dig the wall street journal out. You know, this is this small town banking in Missouri. You know, I go dig the wall street journal out of the stack and they do them little pencil sketches, you know, uh-huh. and they got a pencil, they got a pencil sketch of the guy that's coming into our bank as the examiner in charge with the headline above it that says the examiner from hell. It's on the front page of the wall street journal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I mean, you know, of course I'm, I'm panicked. I'm going, uh Oh, I, so I call him back this examiner came in. He was the best examiner we had. He, he had answers to every question. If you screwed it up, he was going to write you up. I mean, there was, there were not, you, you weren't going to argue with him. He's the examiner from hell. He's right on the front page of the wall street journal. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's, it, it, you think red tape in education, you think hard to get things pushed through or progress in education. Um, Banking, uh, banking was was one that was awful difficult. Being the mayor was another one because, <laughs> as the mayor, I really don't have a vote. Council's going to the council's going to make these decisions. I'm the, I'm just the guy that has to try to get them going in the right direction, and and that was kind of a that was kind of a, a powerless position really to be in because I didn't have I couldn't if they didn't want to do it we weren't doing it I, I couldn't get them to I mean. And so when you get into education, I've been in some other arenas where it was it was tough to get things done. Corporate banking was way different than community banking, small town banking. When I look at what goes on at Lamar, uh, honestly, it, we're small enough that normally you can talk to the people that need that need to know to help make the decision that, that 
that can help get things done. And for me, uh, being born and raised here in Lamar, I got enough connections that I I know who to go to. You know, if we need something done, if we need a fundraiser done, if we need whatever, whatever, whatever the case is, the person of influence, I normally have a relationship with them because I was born and raised here where I can help get something done. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that's nice. You know, my, my dad is a head coach at like a 3A school here in Oklahoma, and, and it's, it's a huge difference between when they need to get something done and when we do it at a 6A school because, you know, if we need the, the air conditioner fixed or whatever at a certain spot, then you got to put in a work order, and the work order's got to yeah. get approved, and then it's a two-month process to, you know, get whatever little air conditioner you need done in, in one little spot. And then uh, my dad's place, you know, he calls the person that works on air conditioners, and they come out that day and, and get it fixed. So, um, see, at Lamar, I call I call <laughs> my buddy that I graduated with, who's our maintenance guy, and he goes up to the lumber yard that my brother works at and his family owns, <laughs> and it's fixed by and everything's fixed by noon. So <laughs> that's it, awesome. We're, yeah. we're, we're we're doing the same process. Ours is just way faster because of there's just people in certain places that know how to get things done, and and if you know them, things work a little bit better. I don't know that I would function well in that environment, and uh, you know, there are big schools come through and offer jobs and, and talk to me about going there. And, and I've told them, I said, Hey, you know, uh, give me some time to do my homework. And they said, well, you want to set up an interview? And not really. I just want to. And so I will, I will, I will let me do my homework before we ever talk about this. And, and so I'll just normally, I hate to even say it on, I'll sneak into the school while the school day is going on and and I'll just be there and just see for myself how it operates. And, uh, you know, sometimes in those, in the larger schools, especially if it's a multi-school district, you know, I've I've talked to coaches and they say, you know, we got these great ideas for stuff we want to do in the weight room, but it's hard to get it done because whatever we want to do, you're going to have to multiply it by three because the other two schools in our district are going to have to get the same thing, even though nobody in the schools come up with the idea they're not going to do something for one school that they don't do for every school. And I'm sitting here going, man, at our place, if we found a way to pay for it and could get it done where it didn't affect the school budget, we may have it done by the end of the week. And, and so I don't, I don't know that I, you know, sometimes people say you won seven state championships, you can get a job anywhere. I just don't think that's the case because the way that I operate and the things that we do might not fit into those places. That's awesome. I mean, I just, I just think again, it just speaks to to so much. I mean, how you, you got to have that that infrastructure and that leadership from from top to bottom, and inside out. I mean, it's like you said, being able to to get things done that that don't impede you guys moving forward and impede winning. You know, rather than having to deal with with another agenda, you guys just were able to go get it done. That just says a lot about the place you're at. Coach, I was wondering what uh, what else do you do besides the the football coach? What what are you doing at Lamar? As far as another job, or are you, or are you just coaching? No, I, I, I do. I, I have a couple weightlifting classes during the day. I supervise ISS. Um, I've been an assistant baseball coach before. I wasn't real good at that. The kids said I looked funny in baseball pants. So, uh, and, and a hat. I never wear a hat. And, and, and so they said I look funny in baseball pants and a hat. So, um, I just took the AD job here. Our athletic director is, is our basketball coach, and he's headed to Stratford to be the head coach. And so I just took the athletic director's job. So now um, 
responsible for all of our athletic programs and just wanting to get them all performing. People, one of the questions in the in the interview process for this athletic director's job was define success and and <clears throat> the people that I'm interviewing are my principal and I mean they're, these are guys these are people that I've worked with for a number of years you know uh, one of them one of them that was in the interviews a middle school principal and he and I graduated together we've known each other since fourth grade and, and he's asking me questions and I'm going you already know the answer to all these questions we've known each other since the fourth grade. But, they said define success, and I I wanted to walk them down to the trophy case and say, <laughs> I mean, what, what what more do you want me to do? To, That's right. Pull out but, your uh, phone and show them a picture. <laughs> anyway, my wife is over here laughing, and and you'd be laughing too if I pulled out that flip phone that I carry still and showed it to you. There's no pictures on my phone, guys. <laughs> I, I, I can pull my flip phone out and call my wife, and that's about as far as it goes with technology with me. So he's over here laughing about you guys telling me to take a picture with my phone. Um, but anyway, I told him, I said, here's the best way I could tell you about defining success is as a coach, you got to find, figure out what the upper level is for, for, for your kids, each one of them. And then success is getting them as close to that as possible. Closing the gap, however you do it, get them to that, take the potential out of their, out of their performance and squeeze that gap. So they're as close to that upper level as you can get them. That's success. And I used, I used one of our softball players as an example. I said, you know, we had, we had a softball player named Emmy Robertson that uh, pitched for us at Lamar's outstanding pitcher. She goes to Pittsburgh state. She's on scholarship. She's the, uh, conference pitcher of the year as a freshman, sophomore, and a junior, and things blow up. And she asks for her release, and she gets it. And now she goes to Oklahoma State, a D1 school, and is tearing up the Big 12. And I told those folks in the interview, I said, when she left Lamar and we saw what she was doing just immediately at Pittsburgh State, we felt like we had her at the upper level of what she was capable of doing. And unbelievably, she goes to a D1 program and we find out that there's way more there that we never thought was there. What we thought, we thought we were successful in where we had her. And she has shown us that there's way more to her than what we ever saw. And so for a coach, trying to figure out what that upper level is, I think is extremely difficult because each one of those players is different for them. And, and what we're finding out now at Lamar in these early days of, of being the athletic director is in talking to these coaches saying, you need to figure out what the upper level is of your players and try to get them as close to that as possible. That's what I would call success. Coach, what are some of the things you're, you're doing to kind of ensure that obviously I would imagine the way that you guys run the football uh, down people's throats, that the weight room is kind of at the core of what you guys do. And, and honestly, to me, that's where, where programs are built. What, what are some of the things you're doing there in the off season to get those kids rolling? Well, people ask me, are you ready for football season? I said, football's never ended. Just so you guys yep. know, it, it, ne it never stops. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we may stop playing games, but the football has never stopped. And it it goes through the weight room. And what I'm trying to explain to our coaches now is every single sport goes through the weight room. It's not just football. Uh, we Part of our program is when, when uh, the winter sports season in Missouri ends, and the spring sports season begins, my off-season numbers drop by about half because we have basketball in the wintertime, which has a smaller amount of kids participating. And then we have baseball and track in the springtime, which takes a larger amount of kids into those programs. Mm-hmm. So when, it, when our numbers drop, we bring our eighth graders in with our high school middle school strength training classes. So we, we bring them in so that we can start teaching them uh, how we do things at the high school level. So when they come in the summer with our high school kids, it's not a shock to them. Well, the first day I didn't have some kids show up that I thought should have been there. And, and I heard the comment, well, they say that this is football strength. <laughs> so I had to go meet with them because I mean, yeah, everybody laughs when I say it. All the strength coaches just because it's so archaic yeah. what's being said. And, but it, 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 it was being spoken. And whether it was a parent or a travel coach or whoever it was that put this in their head, it wasn't the kids did not come up with this because they've never been in a weight room. Weight room. They wouldn't know strength at all. They don't know, what, they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Somebody has told them this. So I had to go meet with them, and I said, hey, I – I want to talk to you so you understand what's going on and what we're doing. When you grab that bar and you power clean it, that's the movement that you make when you're blocking or tackling somebody. And when you grab that bar and you power clean it, that's the movement that you make when you're grabbing a rebound and spiking a volleyball. And it's very similar to swinging a baseball bat with a little bit of rotation involved in it. And other, it's also the same movement when you're bailing hay and throwing them up on the hay wagon your body doesn't care what it's doing. It just wants to know if it's strong enough to do it. There is no such thing as football strength. There's either strength or no strength. And I'm here to tell you, if you have no strength, you're not going to compete in any sport at our high school because there's enough kids going through our weight room. They will beat you out. And so I just went through our, I just went, went through the starters on our basketball team over the last, however many years I could remember. And I said, there's not a single starter on that basketball team that hasn't come through our weight room. So if you think that this is a football strength, archaic term, whatever it is in your mind, and you're not going to participate, you need to find something else to do in our school besides athletics because you're never going to see the floor, the court, the field, or anything because the kids that are coming through are just going to be bigger, faster, and stronger than you by the time it's time for them to play varsity ball. Now, all those kids showed up the next day, and they all bought in, and they all understand what we're trying to do with them in the weight room. And I just don't know who put the idea in their head, but it's so it, – we deal with stuff like that. It's just archaic. And and I, hopefully we got it out of their head, and hopefully they're getting better and they can help us in all sports. I will tell you this. We just had uh, – we don't have our cross-country kids in the weight room. Our cross country teams won three state championships. They're they're very good. Yeah, we used to have our cross country kids in the weight room, and we we 
we just we couldn't hardly we struggled to get them get their times to drop well we just had the other day a couple of the cross-country kids come back to us and say hey we, we want back in the weight room one their buddies are in there and and our weight room yeah we're working our butts off to get bigger and faster and stronger but there's also a huge community type environment in there. they wanted to be a part of it but they they're not going to Think about trying to run uh, 5,000 meters with a five-pound plate in each hand. If we put 10 pounds of muscle on these guys, no matter where we put it, they're still going to have to carry it for those 5,000 meters, and, and, and that would be very difficult. So we have to figure out how to, how to get them to gain strength and endurance in our weight room, and they're probably not going to do it under the more explosive type of program that we're working through our football, basketball, baseball track kids. So they've actually come back to us and said, we want to be a part of this, but we've got to figure out how to do it. I mean, I don't want to put 10 pounds on them and then have them have to try to carry it. It's just nothing. It's not going to help their time. So for us, every, the challenge is the athletic director, every, Everybody on our boys' side is that every program on our boys' side is very well aligned, and it goes through the weight room. On our girls' side, it's it's got to grow more there. It's got to get better, and I'll tell you how aligned it is on the boys' side. We we lift at five o'clock in the morning in the summertime. That's when that's when we start. Everybody says, "Why do you start at five o'clock in the morning?" Well, we used to start at five thirty. Because Web City started at six, and we were going to be thirty minutes ahead of them, so we started at five thirty. And then we found out De La Salle out in Concord, California, started at five. So now we start at five. So we're starting at the same time as De La Salle starts at five o'clock in the morning. And nobody else has anything going on at five o'clock in the morning. There's no exactly. baseball games, basketball games, jobs, and we can get everybody done by eight o'clock easily. So they can get to a job and then we don't see them the rest of the day and they can go work and they come back the next day. It helps the parents. It helps their jobs. It helps them. So we start at five o'clock in that weight room at five o'clock. There'll be football players, basketball players, every boys sport in our school will be represented in that group. When we go into football, our kids, will, we don't, we're a little different. During the season, we'll bring our kids or coaches in on the weekends. We figure if we can't get it done in five days, it's probably not important enough to even worry about. So we we don't come in on Saturday and Sunday with our coaching staff, and we don't come in on Saturday and Sunday with our players. Other than I'm still old school, there's going to be a scouting report. My, my kids are going to have the notes that I have, and they'll come in Sunday afternoon to pick that up. Well, our basketball kids, when they come in Sunday afternoon, We'll pick up their scouting report and go shoot. And I've had football coaches say, you, you, you let your basketball kids play basketball during football season? I said, you know, if they're not in the gym shooting, they're probably going to be out riding dirt bikes or shooting guns. or do The safest <laughs> place for them kids is probably in the gym shooting <laughs> baskets. <laughs> well, the reason I'm bringing this up, when we go into basketball season after Christmas break, the nets come down in our in our facility and the batting cages are set up and our kids come in and our baseball kids come in in the morning and and throw and start throwing and hitting. And our basketball coach gets looked at by other basketball. You know, you can, all that throwing is going to hurt their shot. 
it doesn't seem to hurt it too bad. We play better after Christmas than we do before. And, oh, by the way, our basketball coach is normally in the cage throwing batting practice to them before <laughs> school in the morning. So, it, and then it just, it carry it just, I mean, it's aligned and everybody works together to try to help the kids get a chance to be successful in more than one sport. We tell our kids, we know you got one that you love. Obviously, you're going to play it, but there's also one or two that you can help. You got to play them too because we're a small school, and our kids buy into that. I think that all starts because you guys are doing it in the weight room. You know, they're they're not depleting; they're getting stronger. You know, they're getting bigger, and it's like you said, they're they're having that chance to be successful. You're getting those kids closer and closer to who they should be. That's done in the weight room. Yeah, and this time of year, you know, we're doing this we're doing this interview in the right towards the end of school if you were to come into our way we had coaches we had coaches from parsons kansas and just the other day and i said hey you might not be able to see too much in here i mean these kids are tired our three sport guys have been going since august so what you're seeing in the weight room we're going to probably modify quite a bit you know because they're they're getting tired now if you were to come back in june or july to watch us after they've had some time off in the summertime it's going to look completely different we're not a, we're not going to sit here and say this is what you got to get done today when a kid is maybe struggling a little bit i mean uh, especially getting late into track late into baseball we'll modify stuff and and work with each one of those kids to make sure they're ready to compete on game day and normally when we come back in in summer or in august they've got their legs back underneath them there and and it's we probably see more strength gains going through that semester than we do coming through the spring semester. Well, Coach, you'd even, you talked about, you know, there for a while and, and maybe even, uh, I think especially maybe five years ago, there was something really big going through baseball, and it was like they were completely against strength training, which, you know, it, it never really made sense to me because, and it's oversimplified, but when baseball was, was its best and everyone was hitting home runs, everyone was, was on steroids. That, that yeah. was always my point. I was like, why are all these guys on steroids getting stronger and playing really well? How is that, how is that cheating if it doesn't matter how strong you are anyways? So, um, yeah, you know, we, when baseball guys tell me you know, you're going you're gonna to get them too muscle-bound and they're going to not be able to do this, I said, I just want to inform you so that you're completely <laughs> aware that our government spent a billion dollars of your money to investigate steroid use in baseball. Our government did this. <laughs> had all the hearings. They're paying all these guys, they're paying all these lawyers, all these hundreds of thousands of dollars to investigate steroid use in baseball. And I'm 100% sure that those guys didn't take all that juice to get more flexible. They took the juice to hit the ball harder. <laughs> That's I, right. Hey, the, the, the one that I always tell them, I said, I said did y'all listen to John Cruck? I said, listen to Cruck. I said, they're sitting there talking about Sammy Sosa and, and, and being on juice. And, and Cruck says, well, he hits it a mile. I guess he wanted to hit it two miles. That's all. That's what Crux said. So, <laughs> you know, and 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 we did. We spent all that money to investigate steroid use in baseball, and it's not because they're trying to get more flexible. They're trying to. They want to be stronger. I mean, it's just plain and simple. It it, it all goes through the way. It all does. Every bit of it. And on our boys' side here at Lamar, it's very well aligned. They know that if they'll if they'll we they'll stay in there and, and they'll 
not start and stop, start and stop. They'll just stay in there and stay consistent. Good things will happen to them over time. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. And then and then the interesting thing you also brought up was with the cross country, and, and I kind of see it parallel just a little bit with, like, uh, certain wrestlers that, that, that you get, you know, guys that obviously you want to be as strong as you can, but there are certain times, especially right before a season or during a season where they can't get – you know, can't add too much muscle because, you know, they are trying to stay under that weight, that weight that they're wrestling at. So uh, I've always thought that was a really interesting, you know, how do you get these kids as strong and and strength, much strength as possible yet, you know, keep them under that weight limit, whether that be in cross country or, or wrestling and different things. And then with wrestling, you know, from, from what I've heard, the little I've researched it, you know, there's a little bit in, in, in uh, the South, a little bit different thought process than, than in the north, you know, where the south guys try to stay a little bit smaller, I think, and then and then towards the north they they bulk them up a little bit more. So uh, kind of interesting, and and it's kind of cool to see how different people do that in the weight room and, and get that achieved. Well, we're gonna have to figure it out because our cross country kids are coming back, and so we're gonna have to figure out how to get them stronger without adding a whole lot of weight to their body. I, I run, and. Uh, my one of my nephews is a runner, and and man, if I'm running heavy, if it, it's no fun. The lighter I am, the, the lighter I, the less I got to carry, the more enjoyable running is. So we have to figure out how to get strength and endurance on them without adding body weight to them. And I'm not 100 percent sure how to do that. So I said to figure that part out. Coach, I was going to ask you now, so you guys go through the weight room in the summer and you guys get big and, you, and you're going to be physical now. So what, what is kind of your, your offensive mentality? I mean, what, what schemes are you guys uh, liking? Are you guys option? Are you guys downhill power? What, what are you guys doing to, uh, to get the job done on the offensive side? Obviously, we're called run the power, so we love guys that run the football. One of the reasons why we wanted to have you on. Well, we're a little – Probably one of the consistent themes when you look at our football program is we're a little different. And doesn't matter what you talk about, a lot of times we're just a little different in how we do things. And what makes us a little different is going 0 and 10 in 2007. Mm-hmm. And everybody, I mean, it was, it was, we got outscored 387 to 48. We were so bad on offense that we didn't score an offensive touchdown on a designed play that we practiced until week nine. That's how bad we were on offense. Wow. Well, every, everybody says, what'd you learn from that side? We gave us freedom. What do you mean gave you freedom? Well, there ain't no way it's going to get any worse than 0 and 10. We can't go 0 and 11. So <laughs> it gave us the freedom to do, we could do whatever we wanted to do because it ain't going to get any worse. And we, we, uh, we came up Dale Weiner down at Catholic high school in Baton Rouge was running a package of spin offense. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, six, a ball down in, in Louisiana, he's got, he's got the guys. I mean, he's major Apple White's quarterback. And I mean, he's, (laughs) he's got some guys and I'm looking at him going, uh, we don't have any of those guys at Lamar. And he says, it's all relative. He said, you're not playing six-day football in Louisiana either. And so we we didn't put it in as a package. We just went to it. And we were running in originally 
uh, with a quarterback and a fullback and two wing backs and two receivers. And it, and it was good for us against competition that we could match up well against. We could, you know, we, we could fool some guys on defense with a lot of misdirection and things like that. Where we struggled was those teams that were just physically more dominant than us at the time. And I still remember um, we were going to play Monette, and they were number one. They ranked number one in class three in, in Missouri. And we were struggling to win any games at all. And they had two defensive ends. That if you didn't double team them front side and backside both, that one or the other was going to make a play, even from the backside. They were just extremely fast, extremely strong, very good. And I'm counting. I said, well, I got five linemen, and they got three or four defensive linemen. I don't have enough guys up here to double team two of them. I'm running, I'm running out of guys before we ever even get a linebacker block. Well, we had a sophomore. We had a tight end that was playing on defense for us. We put him at tight end. And then we had a, a young sophomore. There was a big kid that had been playing some JV for us. So I went and got the number one jersey and put it on him. said, you're a tight end this week. And and we went double tight, double wing. And at that time, we were still playing with a quarterback and a fullback. And and the tight end and and the – and the tackle just double teamed them two defensive ends on every single play. Didn't matter which direction we were in. And I want to say we were up 14 7 on that team at halftime before we gave up some touchdown, some long touchdown passes. We ended up getting beat in a close game against the number one ranked team in class three. And we figured, man, we stumbled on the something here. That if we just get in double tight, double wing, a lot of misdirection in the backfield fooling some of these guys on defense, maybe false pull something here or there. Uh, we may have something. And we went through um, and into 2010, and we started to win some more games. Uh, we had started a quarterback and a fullback, and our quarterback went through seven games and, and broke his leg. And we brought a freshman in who started – seven games and led us into the semifinals and we ended up 2010 with a record of 10 and four and we were coming back in 2011 and we had two quarterbacks that had both started seven games and our fullback had graduated and I really didn't have a fullback type guy I didn't you know everybody you you know you you know a fullback when you meet them and I didn't have <laughs> one of those guys in the <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have one of those guys in the program, but I had two quarterbacks that had both started seven games. I told our coaches, I said, what do you think with this offense would look like if we had two tight ends, two wingbacks, and two quarterbacks standing in the shotgun behind the center, <laughs> just you know, splitting the center, and we figure out the mesh on each one of these plays as to who catches, who fakes, who blocks, who – and all of a sudden that offense got very fast, very deceptive. You know, you – before, if you were looking at the fullback, most of the time he's going to take you to the play. Now there's no fullback out there. There's two quarterbacks, and and that was 2011. We went 14 and one, won our first state championship, playing with two quarterbacks back there. And so we stuck with it, um, running double tight, double wing with two quarterbacks, um, 
we call our inside quarterback run play power. Sometimes we will block it like power. We will we'll block back with the center and double and pull. And it kind of depends on who the stud is on defense. Uh, we we may we may just simply base it and and run it more like an ISO play to ensure that whoever their stud is doesn't get a free run through the line at you know at the play. Um, so we block it a couple of different ways, but when you say run the power, um, power right for us is is well heck some or some days it's fifty percent of our offense. We run it about every other play. You know, load up the right side of your line with your best lineman and spin fake to the running back and let the quarterback get in behind those big guys and see if he can get five yards out deep. I love it. Well, and, and five yards is, is good. If you can go five yards the whole time, you're you're getting first down <laughs> two plays and you're rolling and wearing people out. Mel, Mel Church up at Northwest, he he told me, he said, Scott, you want you want to throw the ball when you want to, not when you have to. And and our fans will say, Why did you throw the ball that you didn't even attempt to pass? I don't want to. The coach Church said, I only I only want to throw only throw it when I want to, not when I have to, and I didn't want to, so I didn't throw it. <laughs> uh, you got it. If you want to see something interesting, you know, Web City, Coach Roderick, they're split back rear, and we're double tight, double wing, and we seven on seven together each summer. We have ever since I've been here. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like we're we're doing. We throw more passes in the first hour of seven on seven than both programs are going to throw through the entire season. And in uh, I still remember in thirteen. Uh, we were playing. We were playing for state championship in class two, and and Web City was playing for state championship in class four. And we got done playing and walking off the field. And I see Coach Roderick. He comes up and, and gives me a hug. Says, "We won two state championships and never attempted a pass either team. I mean, it is, <laughs> no, neither, neither team tried to throw the ball one time, and and both teams won state championships. So, uh, I." I, I don't know. I I would like to. I mean, when I was coaching college ball, we threw it all over the place. I would like to do it. I just think if I run power right on first down, it's probably going to be second and five. <laughs> if I throw it, if I throw it on first down, it's probably going to be second and ten. Yeah. And <laughs> and so. I run it and it's second and five and everybody goes, it's second and short. You know, it'd be a good time to throw the ball. I said, it'd be also a good time to run power right and it'd be first and <laughs> 10 here. And just... So I, I'd like to, I just, I just can't bring myself to do it when I'm thinking if I just run the ball three times, I'm probably going to get a first down. And if I throw it, I'm probably going to be second longer you know, whatever, whatever the case might be. And so I just get into that rut of running the football and it's been successful for us. Well, and the coolest part to me is, um, you know, it's something my dad's told me since I was little is like those, if, if you will stick with it, those two, three, five yard runs in the third quarter, fourth quarter turn into 15, 20, 35 yard runs. 
Worked for us in the state championship game last year. My stuff wasn't working very well. Steve Cook up at Higginsville. It's the third time we played him. We played him in 11 for the state championship. We played him in 15 in the semifinals. And then we got him again last year for the state championship. And, and he's gotten really good at defending our offense. And my stuff wasn't working. And uh, our quarterback, Duncan Gepner, he says, we're, we're running – a misdirection play. It's a sweep right play, but we're going to bring the right wing in motion and then hand it to the left wing going around. And, and, uh, we ran it and, and we got it blocked and scored. And, and at the start of the fourth quarter and, and my quarterback says, coach, if I just hand it to the first guy, he said, nobody's even going to know he has the ball. I said, dunk, we're pulling the tight end and the guard we're pulling the tight end and the guard to the right and you want to hand it to the wing that's going in motion and going to the left. I said, we have, we're not blocking anybody over there. He goes, that kind of man. <laughs> and I said, we're on the sideline and we kick off and, and Higginsville doesn't get the kick cover. We get it right back. And Dunk's looking at me and I go, I, I, I said, Dunk, my stuff ain't working at all. If you can run it, run it. So he goes and gets in the huddle. He goes and gets in the huddle and tells him what we're going to do. And we run the play, and the wing on the right goes in motion, and Dunk hands him the ball and fakes it to the wing on the left coming around after the snap. And our coaches are screaming at that left wing because he's just jogging. He don't have the ball. And they think he has – everybody in the stands thinks – the only person that knows that he – that the first guy got the ball is our quarterback and me in the whole stadium. <laughs> and we don't block we don't we don't block five guys on that side of the defense. We don't block anybody over them. We don't touch them. And that wing runs straight by them down the sideline for a thirty five yard touchdown. And and so you're sitting there going, these plays will work later in the game. And I'm sitting there going, we ran sweep right and power right so many times <laughs> that that whole defense was conditioned that as soon as that kick, that guy took off, he was going to get the ball going to the defense's left. And all of a sudden, we just handed it to the guy going the other way, and nobody knew he had the ball. Coaches didn't know he had the ball. Nobody did. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I was gonna say that that sounds probably about like your 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 college days over with the gorillas. I don't think they threw the ball very often either. Yeah, you know, I was trying to the other. I had a. I told you the Parsons coaches ran. Kurt Freeze came in. He he just took the head coaching job at Parsons. He and I and he and I were roommates over at Pittsburgh State. He came over to see what we were doing in the weight room and what we were doing with offense and defense, and we were talking about old times and and. Brought up our sophomore year, we had a we had a tight end, uh, back a weak side tight end named Blaze Byer played ex tight end, ex receiver. He had ten catches for four hundred yards and ten touchdowns. <laughs> that, 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 that's what he had. He averaged forty yards a catch his sophomore year and scored he had ten catches, ten touchdowns for four hundred yards. It, it was that. That's I mean. I can remember Coach Fran, like I said, I wish I'd have paid more attention when I was playing for him, but I can remember him distinctly just adamantly in the in the you know, telling the guys in the press box, tell me when the safety makes a tackle at or near the line of scrimmage. 
just if he's at or near the line of scrimmage when the tackle's made, I got enough. And sure enough, as soon as that safety decided he's going to come down and, and, and be a part of the run game, that backside tight end is going to run right by him for it, and, and post is going to be wide open. And sure enough, that, that play, you may only throw it once or twice a game, but it's probably going to go for touchdown. And those are always the good ones. <laughs> well, yeah. you, you could spend, we could probably spend a whole episode on just the coaches that came through Pitt State at that time. I know uh, the guy that works with me with the offensive line, one of my really good buddies is Mark Broyles, and that's um, Chuck Broyles' son. Chuck Broyles. Yeah, yep. and so, you know, he talks about, you know, Fran and, and all those guys that came through Pitt State at that time. It was just, you know, an unreal time at, at any college, especially at a, a college, a smaller college like Pitt State, to have all those guys coming through and, and have such a successful program. It's really cool to sit back and hear all those stories. And and a coach that hardly ever gets mentioned is Bill Samuels. And Coach Samuels mm-hmm. uh, went to Pittsburgh State out of high school uh, and never left. And, and he was the offensive line coach when I was playing over there. And he he could have went and coach. He could have went anywhere in the country and been. A, but he wanted to stay at Pittsburgh State. And and when you talk about all those successful coaches of Coach Fran being at Alabama and A and M and and Jerry Kill at Minnesota, Minnesota and and Gary Patterson and all the Bill Samuels was on that staff and as far as football knowledge and ability to build relationships with kids and like I say he went to he went to Pittsburgh State as a player in the 50s and never left he 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 had, he had been there the whole time and still lives in Pittsburgh uh he he's one of the coaches that hardly ever gets talked about or mentioned man he was he was so good he was so good to play for that's awesome to hear all all those stories. Like I said, I mean, I got, I've had a chance to sit down with Broyles too, and, and meet his dad Chuck, and it's just it's just awesome that the brotherhood of coaches that you guys had there at at Pitt State. What, what were maybe some of the lessons you kind of took from those guys? I know you said a couple times, you know, I wish I would have paid more attention, but there's got to be a couple of things that that maybe you know nuggets that you take well, from it, or, or even sayings that you use from them. Well, you know, when Coach Broyles. When when I was getting out of banking and into coaching, uh, I was coaching at Truman State and I was coaching at Missouri Southern. So I was coaching against Coach Boyles. Mm-hmm. I was coaching against Chuck and Tim and and all those guys. And uh, I still remember him saying, telling me, he said, Scott, he said, you know, you're getting into this coaching deal and and out of banking. He says, I want to let you know that you'll never get fired for something you didn't say. And I'm sitting here going, <laughs> you know. That'd have been a real that'd been real good advice to have twenty or thirty years ago when I was a kid and ran my mouth all the time. You know. <laughs> I wish I'd have, I wish somebody would have told me that a long time ago. He told me never get fired for something you didn't say. Um Coach Fran uh, he had, he had a lot of them, but the one that he always said was tough times never last, tough people do and, and I tell our kids that sometimes they they think they're going through a bad day. I say, listen, you know, whatever's going on today, you're going to survive it. And tomorrow we're going to come back and figure out a way to be successful. And, and tough times are not going to last. Tough tough people are going to last. And, and he used to always say that to me. Um, I can remember uh, <clears throat> Coach Samuels, we were playing up at Wayne State, and we had a bench clearance. 
And having be having be having be Kurt Freeze. Kurt's out on the field. I was on the sideline, and and Kurt's at the bottom, and he's my roomie. He's my room roommate, and so I take off off the sideline, and I still remember Coach Samuels. He stepped out on the field, turned around, and put his hands up to try to to keep us off to keep us from rushing the field, and uh, he called me by name. Bailey, stop! And I went straight by him uh, <laughs> to, to to get Kurt, you know, get him get him off the bottom of the pile and and save him. And uh, I can still remember uh, when I got back to the sideline and he came to see me, and he looked at me and he said, "I want to see you tomorrow." And when he said, "I, I just I knew I knew." And and there's a whole bunch of us left that sideline. But, he, I mean, I still remember he called me specifically by name and told me to stop. But I was going to go get Kurt and get him. And uh, he ran me and ran. And, and and he tried – I mean, he tried to teach me a lesson with all this running. But at Pitt, we called it the Breakfast Club. And yep. the old movie, The Breakfast Club, they would take that poster – and they would cover up the pictures of all of those actors with the pictures of the football players who are in the breakfast club, and they would put it on the front of the weed building so that everybody that walked into the weed building could see that who was in the breakfast club and had to show up and run, and I was in the breakfast club for quite a while. And uh, But I remember Kurt Freese's mom baking me a cake and and sending it to sending it to Pittsburgh since for thank it be for for saving her son from getting his butt kicked up there at, at Wayne State so yeah I, I was in the breakfast club for a while but at least I got a cake out of the deal you know <laughs> that's awesome yeah those are really cool stories and and, and we love to hear them um coach you know winding down on an hour so we're, we're going to try to let you go but kind of the last question I ask everybody is is when you're watching someone else's offensive line What's something that, that they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Well, every every game I watch, I, and our kids know this, we, we've taught them, look and see whose head's getting snapped back. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you can now film is so much better than it was when we were players. I mean, our kids are on their phone, and, and they're showing me stills of, Look how look how this tight end or tackle combo is snapping that defensive end's head back, and and so what we look for, you know, you're going if you're going to win that one or two foot space right there at the line of scrimmage, you got to be able to beat the guy off the ball. And normally when you do, you you're lower than him, you got leverage on him, and you snap his head back. And so we're looking to see who we're you know who gets who gets whiplash? Who gets their head knocked back on on these plays? And when you're watching, uh, you know more of this of the spread teams, it's a little bit harder. I will say that I will say that that we're we're looking probably going into this season to do a little bit more zone type blocking. Um, we were we were struggling last year with our combos. We 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 just we could we could get a good combo start, 
and the outside guy could get off and get up to, to the linebacker, get up to level two. But the inside guy always seemed to struggle to to overtake that defensive lineman. Hmm. And so it got a lot of things got stretched. And so we're looking more at, at piggyback type combos and we're also looking at more at cutback type plays where it may look like we're trying to we're trying to double you and reach you. But the inside guy is probably just going to drive you out of the picture. We're, we're just going to design another cutback. And um, Josh Henson is down at Oklahoma State. He was at Mizzou when he recruited my nephew. And it's always nice to have to know those. One, one thing I'll tell you before we hang up, I don't go to very many coaching clinics. I just, if there's somebody that I want to talk to or somebody, we, me and my wife and I just go see them. And I know you're up in up in Iowa. Uh, yeah. It was 2012, I believe, that we just we went to Applican Parkersburg, and uh, just just met with Aaron Thomas and his mom, and just spent some time with them. We we read the book, The Sacred Acre, and I just said, Donna, we gotta go meet these people. And so I just mm-hmm. called him up out of the blue and said, hey, we're going to drive up to Iowa. And we just drove up there and, and met with him. And two months ago, we were in Owasso. I mean, Bill Blankenship won a state yep. championship at Owasso this past year. And the year before, he was at Fayetteville in Arkansas and won a state championship there. And I, I said, how the heck do you go from the largest class six, you know, largest class in Arkansas to the largest class in Oklahoma and went back to back state championships. And so we just go down there and, and just I call Coach Blankenship and say, Hey, we're coming to Owasso. Can we just spend some time with you to try to figure out what what you're doing? Well, that's the same thing that happened with Coach Henson. So I'm coming to Oklahoma State to watch Jimmy pitch and he said, just stop by. And so we sat down and went through some of the stuff that he's doing at Oklahoma State with their offensive line, design cutback stuff, where it may look like power at the start of that play, but the play's actually designed to cut back. And so those defenses that get pretty good at chasing the football and going down the line of scrimmage, uh, hopefully they just run themselves out of the play and everything's a design cutback. So. What do we look for? Oh, I'm looking. I'm looking for that head to snap back. That's what I'm looking for. I love it. That's the first guy that's that said that. And honestly, that's something I'm gonna I'm gonna start checking out, Coach. So I appreciate the nugget. And on a on a side note, I got to work for Bill Blankenship uh, at Tulsa in 2011. And what a fun oh, yeah. guy to work for. I'll tell you right now, he was he was awesome to work for. And, you know, I go, hey, you won state championships in two different states in back-to-back years in the largest class. And I think it might have been the first time that Jinx or Union didn't win the state championship in like 20-some years. Yes. And so and so I'm sitting here thinking, how's he do it? Well, it's pretty easy to figure out when you sit there and watch him interact with the players. I mean, it didn't take, it didn't take five minutes of, of watching him around those kids to know he – He's really, really good at building relationships with these guys. He's really good. Uh, one, I guess, starting quarterbacks on the track team. So he, 
I don't completely understand you guys in Oklahoma and your athletic hour, but uh, <laughs> he, you know, all the all the kids are coming in at the end of the day, but the track kids are going to track, and so he he doesn't have. I mean, his quarterback's in track, so he doesn't have him during that period of time that all the other football players that aren't in another sport are there. And uh, it's probably 30 or 40 minutes later that the quarterback comes to find him. I mean, that quarterback has got done with his track workout. He's come into Coach Blunt. You can you could see real quick how he built relationships, just strong relationships, and he did it quickly. And to do that in two different states, you'd have to be a guy that could do that with kids. No question. Well, Coach, we really appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time. Are you on the flip phone right now or on your reg- uh, regular phone? No. I, we had to have this discussion before I called. Donna says that flip phone isn't going to get any reception out here. You better use my <laughs> phone just to make sure we have reception. Dang, we, you we could have been the four, first flip phone on the podcast. We, we live about four or five miles out of, out of town. She goes, that flip phone's not going to get reception out here. You better, you better use my phone. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.